Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, you know, when I have somebody on here, I love to talk to people that are changing the game and are thought changers. And this young lady that I have on today, she's going to help you answer some questions. Are you tired of working for somebody else and building somebody else's dreams? Are you fit to be an entrepreneur or a franchise owner? We're going to answer all those questions. But first of all, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, If you guys love podcasts like I do, one of my favorite podcasts is called Double B Creates. And I'm going to send this young lady's info over to them so they can have her on their show, too. So check out DoubleBCreates.com. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode, but it's going to be a very learning, teaching episode. Um, so have a pen and a paper ready. And Miss Phyllis, I'm hoping I'm saying your name right. I'm from Jersey, so it sounds like an Italian name. Pieri, am I saying it right? You got that right. Just perfect. <laughs> there we go. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. How about you? Oh, if things were if things were any better, I would be twins. <laughs> I love that. So life is going great. Uh, by the way, since I knew where we were going to talk, um, I actually picked up your book and just breezed right through it. think it's an amazing book, and it really, really, really hit home. So I want to talk about that. So talk to us a little bit about where you're from, uh, what state you were born in, and what kind of little girl was Phyllis? Oh, what a good question. We're going to hop in the, <laughs> we're gonna hop in the, the way back machine. Oh, I love that. I love that. So I'm a native Californian, and I was born and raised in San Jose, California. And then at the age of 13, <clears throat> my parents got divorced because life happens, and I moved down to Newport Beach. And I spent a good portion of my life in Newport Beach. And then I, you know, I'm one of these, right? I jump into things. So then I traveled to Washington State, spent 20 years there. And all of a sudden I became Grammy. So I moved back and now I'm living in Mission Viejo, California and just loving the sunshine. So what kind of little girl was Phyllis? You know, Phyllis was a very busy little ADD girl and I was an entrepreneur from the time I was a little girl. So funny. You mentioned my book and I, um, I wrote a chapter in this book about how I, you know, how I grew up and how I, what my characteristics are. And I had to, I had to really go back and think about what are my characteristics? What are the things that have really served me well? And my mom, my mom and dad, I grew up in a very wealthy family. There's good news and bad news when it comes to that. And my parents were gone a lot. So I was very big on entertaining myself. And we happened to live on the golf course. So uh, my mom, when they built their home, she loved the, they had like this office that they had at the lumber yard. In those days, you would literally, the architect would live at the lumber yard. And uh, she loved the office that he had. And she had to recreate it and make it my playhouse. So I had this fabulous playhouse with a deck around the outside and windows and, and Dutch doors. But what I really liked was I liked the uh, to make my general store out uh, in front of the playhouse, not in the playhouse playing dolls. So that's one of the things that made me realize that I was a very independent little girl. And like I say, I had to entertain myself. And so I did very nicely. But so the, what, what was the downside of being from, from a wealthy family? The downside was it was very lonely because my parents were gone a lot. And uh, they traveled. And so I was really raised by the help, literally. And you know, when that movie, The Help came out, I don't know if you ever watched it, but yeah, I resonated so much with that because I was the little girl that the ladies took care of and the moms were out playing bridge and drinking and having a great old time. And that really, um, it's it's very lonely growing up like that because I didn't have that nurturing love that I really wanted to get from my mom and dad. They just weren't available. And unfortunately they drank a lot and you know what that does. If you've been around that, you know what that does with families. So 
I'm a recovering uh, addict and alcoholic, so I totally get it. Now, my mother worked a lot when I was that young age. Mm-hmm. So I, my refuge was books. You know, I, I became an avid book reader because it took took me all around the world, even though I didn't have to leave my room. Oh, so, isn't that what fascinating. Your, so what was your refuge? My refuge was being outside and was being pre- playing pretend, playing pretend in the uh, at the the. Um, whether it was the little general store that I made, I lived in a beautiful area. And in those days, you know, we could run around and we had so much freedom. And I had a girlfriend who had a house that was on a creek and they had this big, huge rope swing. So I think my refuge was being gone. I mean, just out there running around, playing, um, getting into mischief, which I shouldn't have done. We've all done that. But uh, the other thing was, pardon me, not me. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, right. I know, right? Well, you know what's really interesting you said about reading books is that my mom was an avid reader. She loved reading books. And I was a very busy little girl. And, you know, I would be bored. And I, you know, if she was home, I would say, Mom, what can I do? And she'd say, go read a book. Oh, my God. That was like putting up a red flag. So I really hated reading because she wanted me to do it because I was one of those kids. Um, I also would always sneak out. I mean, as a little kid, I would sneak out during my naps and I would take, I would climb out the window. So my dad, he nailed the window shut. That didn't stop me. I had my own bathroom and I had, so I climbed out the bathroom window, which was up high. And then I climbed down the trellis, took my stool with me and went down to my friend Danky and climbed into his window. And they finally gave up on me taking naps because I clearly wasn't going to do it. But you know, as a little kid, I did that because I wanted attention. I didn't care how I got it. I got lots of spankings. But that's I that's how I got attention from my parents. I get it. Yeah. So how were you now in high school? Were you were you good were you a a good student in high school? No. I wasn't a good student. I really struggled in school. And I also went to boarding school. So get this. I'm first grade and I go to school. I leave in the morning at like seven o'clock, the bus picks me up, drives me across town to Los Gatos. And I spent all week there. And then I would come home on Friday nights. So that was good for me because I had a lot of structure. And I loved, I loved going there because I had kids to be around. I had structure. We had a farm, but I was a little ADD kid and they didn't know what to do with me. And so I always had to sit right next to the teacher so she could keep an eye on me and keep me in my seat. But the thing that I liked about boarding school was the, um, I wanted to be, of course, a little girl, I wanted to be a ballerina. And so I took all the classes. And when you go to boarding school, for whatever reason, they always do a lot of uh, plays and those kind of things. And so as a little kid, you know, we'd be in all the plays. And I loved doing doing ballet. However, um, coming home, there was a lady that taught ballet on McKee Road. I'll never forget it. And she had a big sign in her window. And I used to ask my mom, mom, I really want to go take that class. But when you've got, when you grow up in an alcoholic home, you find that your parents aren't really big on taking, at least mine wasn't, to take me to any of that stuff. So I didn't participate in that. And then that dream was gone when I, you know, my parents got divorced and I moved down to uh, Newport Beach. However, The first year they got divorced, I was in eighth grade. No, I was a freshman. And I looked at my mom and I said, if we're, if you guys are getting divorced, then I'm going to boarding school. So I went to Ojai for a year. And uh, because that way I just, I was used to being alone because I was alone most of the time. It was weird. So now, you know, because a lot of people, you know, like, like us, you know, I say, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we're really lonely as children, we either go two two ways. We either become an introverted mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. or a complete extrovert. And so when you graduated high school and, and hit the real world, which one did you become? Or did some people actually become a little bit of both. Well, that, which, what, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I've never told this story. So this I'm just well, they, I'm just they call it the male Oprah. So <laughs> some, I love it. Those, so those people. So it's so it's interesting. You know, when you're a kid growing up in a home like I did, I was really hungry for love because I, you know, here's what I've always thought 
over the years is that when we are born, we have a barometer of love that needs to be filled. I think God gives us a barometer and you know, your parents are supposed to fill up this little barometer and mine didn't get filled up. So I went looking for it. So when I was in high school, I had one boyfriend and I was a recluse. I made all my own clothes because my mom would reward me if I would make my clothes, she'd buy me shoes and purse to match because that was a big deal in those days. So again, looking for the attention I wanted from my mom, I wanted to please her so I would sew and do all this stuff. Well, I wanted to go to uh, college. I wanted to be a home ec teacher. So my one boyfriend, he gets, um, he gets drafted. Of course, those were the days. And he took off. And then um, I, got, I got accepted at the University of Nevada at Reno. And uh, my grandmother gave me a trip to Europe as a graduation present. So again, being quite a recluse, because it was weird. It was like I'd never participated in anything at school. I didn't go to any of the games. I just didn't. I just, I just stayed in my room and talked to my boyfriend on the phone. It's just really strange. When I look back on it, I realized, oh, so many things that I missed. But my, I had two older sisters, and they were never around. I always called them my vacation sisters. So I didn't have any... I didn't have any role models, anyone to, you know, to mimic or to be like. So anyway, it was just the way it was. Okay. Then, then I got a question, yes. you know, that we don't know where this conversation is going to go, but it's like two friends having a cup of coffee. So it really doesn't matter. Yep. Um, you know, like my father left when I was three months old. Yep. So when I, be, you know, my daughter was born nine years ago. I didn't know how to be a daddy because there was no, there's no playbook. That's right. There's no book for people that did. So I know you have a beautiful family and you're Grammy now. So what was it like, you know, cause some people like if they had, they grew up with, you know, par parental issues, they learned what not to do instead of what to mm -hmm. do. So, so tell us about your experience about being a mother and the kind of mother that you wanted to be that you didn't have. What a great question. So um, when I became a mom, so I, I got married at 18 and then that didn't work. And I got married to the kid's dad when I was about 25. And he had a daughter from a previous marriage who was about two and a half when we were together. So one of the, he was 13 years older than me. And one of the things I said to him was, I really want children. I couldn't imagine my life without kids. I always wanted children. And so he agreed that we could have two kids. Okay, great. So it took me quite a while to get pregnant. When I finally did, I was over the moon happy. And again, like you said, I, I didn't know how to be a good parent, but I wanted to give my kids the love that I didn't get. And I tried really hard to be a good mom. And then when my daughter came along and I, we spaced them out, I wanted them to be about four years apart. She turned out to be a special needs kid. And She's been the joy of my life, but she's been a huge challenge because when you've got a kid that's not, you know, 100% all there, she has special gifts that other people don't have. But it's been, um, you know, you just have to learn on the go. I don't know how to say it any other way. I mean, there are times, and I'm sure you feel this, there are times when I do things and I go, oh my God, I'm just like my mother. There's this coldness that comes out and I just want to slap myself. But there are things that are inbred in you that you can't, they're just part of your DNA. And I think when you can learn to pay attention and be aware of that, then you can stop yourself from maybe not being the perfect parent that you want to be. I love that. Like I said, this podcast is for, for people to learn. And, you know, it's a teaching podcast. Mm -hmm. How did you get into the world of business what was your your inroad? My inroad was actually Sir Speedy Printing. So this is funny. First of all, growing up, my mom never wanted me to be a waitress or anything like that because, you know, it's all about ego. And so I never had the opportunity to do any of that, which is too bad. I think I would have enjoyed, you know, because I love people. But my sister called me up one day. Now, mind you, I did not go to college because I got married instead. And then that I thought, well, I'm married. I don't need to go to college. What do I need college for? Well, you know, that's, I was the Ozzie and Harriet movies that I grew up watching. So my sister calls me and she said, Hey, we're um, having a trade show. And she was working for Sir Speedy headquarters at the time. 
she said, we need somebody to come down and stuff envelopes. Would you, would you be willing? And I went, sure. So I went down and I started stuffing envelopes. And then the sales guy came in and he said, Hey, fellas, we're doing this trade show. Would you be willing to, you know, come be the hook on the, you know, they, I mean, they didn't care what they called things in those days. So I said, sure. So I was the pretty blonde on the, by the booth, letting people in to come in and talk to our sales guys. So sure, I did that and I love people. So I'd sit there and smile and engage people and have them come in. And so Monday comes around, they asked me to come back to the office and George brings me in a big stack of blue cards and he said, hands them to me. He said, Phyllis, would you call these people and book appointments for me? I said, sure. I mean, it's just weird. I never was afraid. And that's that independent thing, right? I never was afraid. I just said, okay. Because I really believe it's so important that when the door opens, you should go through it. And I always did. And so that's how I, I started in franchising. Really, my first real job was in franchising. And so they moved me around the, the office. I mean, I worked in the, I worked as a receptionist. I learned how to do that. And the accounting department taught me how to use the tin key on the adding machine and all those different things. Um, so that's how my, that's how I got into business. And that's why I love franchising because I was on the inside. I knew exactly how it operated and how they cared about their franchise owners and all of that. Now, I love what you said, you know, just for a second, because it made me chuckle inside, you know, that everybody else around, you know, your family seen that, you know, the Harriet's, mm-hmm. but inside you're living the life of the Osbournes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's, you know, it's not what, you know, it's everybody's story is different. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's not what other people mm-hmm. see. So I just wanted to put that out there. I got a, I got <laughs> inside shot. Uh, you know, I was with a franchise. Actually, for, I was with two different franchises for almost 18 years. It was a general nutrition mm-hmm. center. And I loved being part of a franchise, but I also got to see the back end of the franchise mm-hmm. where sometimes it's not as great as people think it is. So please talk to us a little bit about franchises, what they are, and then some of the pros. And there are cons mm-hmm. to franchise. Mm-hmm. And this is this is your TED talk right here. So just, <laughs> I'm going to let you flow and I'm not going to bug you and I'm just going to listen to your knowledge. You know, I think the thing that I really love about franchising is the fact that you are walking into a business model that's a proven model that, you know, they know exactly how to help you to make money. And I think one of the mistakes that people make is they don't spend enough time on the front end really understand that business and really validating whether they like the way the system works. Because the way you're so successful in franchising is to follow the system. And um, when I first started selling franchises for Sir Speedy, I went to the first convention and I'll never forget going to the million dollar round table. Now I'm older. (laughs) And so a million dollars in those days, this was in the early eighties was a lot of money. And so I went to the million dollar round table and, you know, I passed my card and I asked the person, what's your secret? And she looked at me really odd. She said, what do you mean? What's my secret? I said, well, I'm go- I've gone back to work with Sir Speedy and I'm going to be selling the nine Western states. And I want to know what your secret is so that when I encourage people to join the team, that I can tell them what the secret is so they can also be part of the million dollar round table. And she just looked at me and she said, it's really simple. I follow the system. I said, no, seriously, what is your, what is your secret? She said, Phyllis, it may sound trite, but I follow the system. The system works. And, you know, I've never forgotten that because that really is what franchising is all about. It's about the systems that they've developed. Now, you and I both know, Richard, that there's good companies and there's bad companies. Not, I won't say bad, but I think to me, the heart of the company is whether or not they care about their franchise owners. And if the franchise owners are there, are their focus that they want to do everything they can for those franchise owners to be successful. To me, that's what makes a good franchise company. Now, Sir Speedy was one of those, you know, while they've suffered from the, you know, digital technology, they are a fabulous company. I mean, they really care about their franchise owners. They, you know, would do everything they possibly could to support them. 
you know, and Team Logic is part of that group now, and they're doing exactly the same thing. I mean, they're building the same culture that Sir Speedy had, which is giving the owners everything they possibly can to help them be successful. And to me, that is, there's the, the culture of the company, whether they really care, there's the management team. You want to look for a franchise company that's got experienced people in franchising. Because, you know, when somebody comes in that doesn't understand the way franchising works, and they're all just about the numbers, they're forgetting that there are people that have put their whole life savings into this business. And it's important that they do everything they can to help these people. It's not just about growing the, I mean, they need to grow, you know, they want to make more money, but the, the owners have to be in on it. You know, they, they're part of it. You can't just dictate to them because they're independent business owners, right? You've seen that. Oh, more than, more than my mm-hmm. share. Yes, mm-hmm. I have. Yeah. So. Now, like, when I talk to, you know, a lot of people about franchising, I just had one of my friends on, he's a veteran and he actually is, that's his specialty is franchising. Um, most people don't realize that the biggest landowner in the world that's is right. McDonald's. And McDonald's, let's be honest, they don't make the best hamburgers, but they have the best. They sure systems. do. Yes. Like, like, like you're talking about. You go to one McDonald's, it's going to be the same color mm-hmm. scheme. It's going to be you know the, the same training and everything is. They have it marked out to the second, sometimes you know to the minute. So if you're if you're a free thinker, franchising might not be. For Absolutely. You, yeah. You know? So. Uh, when I when the work that I do in trying to find the right people for my franchise partners, it's that's part of the work I go through is trying to figure out whether you're too entrepreneurial. Because if you're too entrepreneurial, I want you to save your money and go do your thing. Because they're not looking for someone to come in and reinvent the wheel. Now, if you are if you have certain talents about you and you are very entrepreneurial, you may be very interested in an emerging brand that's brand new, that would love your, you know, what you have to offer and what you bring to the table. But most of the time, they're really, I mean, that's one of the things I do is screen out the people that are going to buck the system, drive everybody crazy and not be successful anyway. Okay, so then I have a question. Like like I said, and, you know, Phyllis, I just want to say thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I'm truly appreciative and grateful. I'm happy to be Um, here. It's an honor. You know, like I said, I was with GNC and we were in a strip mm-hmm. mall. And a lot of companies, because I was reading in your bio, and of course I did a lot of research on you, by the way. Um, a lot of companies do not did do not embrace technology until it's yep. too late. I.e. Radio Shack. Yes. Uh, now GNC is pretty much mm-hmm. hurting. Um, you know, they had that whole mindset. Well, this is the way it was always yep. done. Well, this is not the way of the world anymore. So when you, you know, talk to franchises that have, you know, own, like my partner, he's still, he just celebrated 25 years in business uh, last weekend. Oh, good for him. Uh, it, but of course, the struggle now, because with Amazon, you get yeah. the next day. Mm-hmm. You know? So what do you say when, because I'm sure you might have that question come up where if people that have lost their franchises, mm-hmm or are losing their franchises because of the state of the economy or mm-hmm. COVID. So what do you say to them, you know, for people who say, well, you know, I had an uncle that owned a whatever, whatever, and he lost mm-hmm. the business. So I'm sure you have people like well, that. Well, you know, that is one of the questions that I ask when I do my initial consultation, not the initial, but when I do the, the full on consultation, which is where I really get to know people. It's important to know whether or not they've had somebody in their family that's owned a business or has owned a franchise and if it was successful or not successful. I mean, COVID is an anomaly. We're never going to see another COVID. Who in the world would have thought that we would get a pandemic that would shut us down for a year? Um, It is just heartbreaking that number of people that have lost everything. And my heart just aches for them. But I will also tell you that some of the franchise companies 
that, I mean, I sure would have much rather have been a franchise owner than I would have been an independent during the COVID times because the franchise industry just clicked into hyper gear to try and help their owners as much as they could. And the, you know, International Franchise Association, absolutely. I mean, I think they were working 24 seven trying to do everything they could to help the, you know, to help all the franchise owners succeed. So, um, you know, there's, I mean, when it comes to the pandemic for the people that just totally lost it, I don't know what, I, Richard, what do you say? Um, I mean, I think COVID is going to be something that's going to go down into history. I can't imagine that it's going to, surely isn't, people aren't going to go, well, I don't want to do a franchise because, you know, George lost his business because of the pandemic. Well, that wasn't the franchisor's fault. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, some franchisors sure help their franchise owners a lot more than others. And I, I'm very proud yep. to say that the brands that I work with and the companies that I'm affiliated with, they did everything they possibly could. You know, hey, I put a guy into business that bought uh, 10 Supercuts up in L.A. Imagine. He called me up one day and he said, Phyllis, what in the hell did you get me into? Oh, God, Bill, I'm so sorry. He said, no, it's okay. He said, you know, who would have known the pandemic would come along? But he said the Supercuts was great. They were helping them get their PPP loans. And, you know, they were doing everything they could. And, you know, what people don't think about when they're thinking about going to business for themselves is like, you know, Bill was saying to me, the group of executives or guys, business owners, that they all met when they all went into Discovery Day and so forth, and they have all bought lots of locations because Supercuts decided to sell their company stores. Um, you know, these guys all still communicate. I mean, they're like, a, you know, a, a private group of franchise owners that get together and they talk about best practices and what are you doing about this and what are you doing about that? Well, you know, if you're a Joe Blow, have your own business, you don't have any of that. You know, you don't have anybody that's in the trenches going, oh, yeah, that happened to me here. This is what you do about it. Yeah, I had that problem. No problem. Here, go try this. All right. Now, like I said, you know, I love franchises, by the way. Um, and I and I love military because I'm prior military. Of and course, and ap I apologize because I meant to say to you, first off, thank you so much for being of service to our country. And everyone else oh. online who is in the service or out of the service God bless you people for keeping our country safe and doing all the work that you do because we wouldn't be the United States of America without you. Thank you so much. You and bet. I'm sure they appreciate you. So um, one thing I love about franchising, you know, cause for a while, you know, as I'm working in a franchise and I'm learning about the whole franchise system mm -hmm. and because I actually got to do the books and the ordering and I, I started learning about franchising from, you know, from the band. Nice. Um, and then I started looking at, you know, eventually purchasing my own franchise, which now I'm doing podcasting. So I'm happy I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, but, you know, one thing about franchising is you can get into it with as much money as you have. Or you can get stupid <laughs> and try to buy a Dunkin Donuts for like a million dollars. Oh, Lord, you I know, know. You know, but there's some franchises you can get in for like 10 grand. So I think that's a, a, a very positive thing where people, if they want to get into business, they don't have to go out and spend 50 to 100, 150 grand. You know what I'm trying to say? So yeah, about some franchises that are good, you know, something that they can get into for like a, a low budget when they're first starting out. Well, you know, I think so. Here's the thing. When I work with people, the thing you need to understand and think about is I want you to focus on what are you good at? And what do you like to do? And what skills do you bring to the table? Because one of the things that happens in franchising is, first of all, the sales guy does what he's supposed to do, and that's to sell you, right? Mm -hmm. So, so many people get into a franchise when they don't work with someone like myself. And they get sold by the guy. That's what they're supposed to do. They get into the business. And six months later, they go, holy moly, what was I thinking? Because they don't give it enough thought. They don't think about what they're going to be doing every day. They don't think about who their employees are going to be. They don't think about a day in a life. And that's um, really important. So if you're going to go look for a very affordable franchise, I don't care how affordable it is. 
make sure it's something you really want to do because, you know, I've had guys come to me saying, I only want to resale. I say, okay, great. Let's go find you a resale. But first you need to go through the process with me because I don't care how much money the business makes. If it's not a good fit for you, you're not going to make the money anyway. You know, and I love that, you know, like I was just on, um, obviously I'm very big on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my, one of my friends put out a post that, that entrepreneur, that being an entrepreneur is the only person that's willing to work a hundred hours for themselves. So they don't have to work 40 hours for somebody else. Yep. Not the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Crazy. <laughs> and, and you know, when you own a franchise, no matter what happens, you know, usually, I mean, for the average franchise owner, you know, you're going to be tied. It's like be, having a second marriage. Yes. You know, a second wife, I'm, I'm trying to say, you know, because it's it's your baby. Yeah. You and it, it is a lot of work, especially in the very beginning, because there's so much to learn. And because like I had a friend, the same friend that owns the GNCs opened up uh, a gym. And Which franchise. one? Um, what's the name of the franchise? It's the most popular franchise out there. I don't remember. Did he open up Orange Theory? No, it's uh, oh, it's one of the bigger ones. Uh, I can't remember, but uh, okay. And you know, and of course, people don't realize that you know, if you own a gym, you know, oh my god, you gotta be there from open to close. Yeah. So you know, a lot of people that get into business. You know, they don't realize that you're, it's, it's like having a second husband or wife. Mm-hmm. So you have to, well, like you said, you have to make that decision. All right, I'm going into business. And, and like I had a lady, they opened up a franchise next to us and he was out of business in six months because oh. he, he thought, okay, I'm just going to start a franchise and I don't have to be there. Oh, Lord. I was like, guess Why do you, I mean, what <laughs> island are these people living on? Yeah, it was like, okay, because I guess whoever told them that the, you know, <sighs> the gym or whatever it was, it's a manager-driven model. You yeah. don't be there. And it's like, all right, you have all these 18-year-old kids opening up the cash. And if yeah. you don't think money's going to come up missing, then you're sorely mistaken. So you actually have to work in your business to be a successful franchisee. Well, and you also have to hire well. So, I mean, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole gamut. Now there are, I mean, like for instance, the hair care industry, they really are designed to be semi-absentee because that's the way they were built. You know, you hire a manager and the manager hires the technicians and your job is to oversee the numbers to make sure they've cut enough hair that day. If not, you send them a, you know, tell them to put the flags out and the coupons at the grocery store. But you're right. I mean, no business is going to run totally absentee. I mean, that's insane. It's your business and it's your money. Uh, you so know, love that. Yeah. So now, you know, because I, of course, I read your bio. I read your book. I read everything about you. Yes. Well, thank was, you. Yesterday was Phyllis Day. So I <laughs> thing I could. You know, and we're, you know, one of your things said, you know, the average franchisee is from the ages of 40 to 73. Mm -hmm. So now why would a veteran do well with a franchisee? I have my own opinion, but I want to wait to see what. Okay. Okay. So quite honestly, we love having veterans as franchise owners. It's very simple because you guys understand the value of following a system. And you have great leadership skills and you know how to run a team. I mean, you know, franchisors like veterans so much, they give them a discount on the franchise fee because they know going in that they're going to be good owners. And, you know, I, as you know, we've talked about this. I would love to find veterans that I can help find the right brand, but I have a funny story for you. So a friend of mine does what I do. And she was pretty active in the military and she was working with a general. And so she didn't follow the same process that I do in in identifying brands for people. And so she starts presenting to companies and she introduces them to residential cleaning. And he looked at her and said to her, do you realize who I am? She said, well, of course. He said, I'm a general. Do you think I'm gonna have a residential cleaning business? For God's sakes. I mean, you know, 
it, it's so interesting to me because one of the things I always ask is, hey, if you're at a cocktail party and somebody says to you, what kind of business do you have? Would it bother you if you said you owned a porta potty business? And someone's going to either say, yeah, I really wouldn't be real keen on that. Or they're going to say, heck, I don't care as long as it makes me money. Yeah, see, like my thought process would be if I had the honor to talk to, you know, Mr. Ray Kroc, mm-hmm. if he says, I make hamburgers. Well, I want to know how you did became franchise around the whole world. So, mm-hmm. yes, talk to me about hamburgers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times you'll hear us say it's not about the widget or the service. It's really about the characteristics of the business. And that's really what I'm, you know, getting down to. It's about who you are, what you're good at, what you really like to do. I mean, do you want to be active in your local community? Is that important to you? You know, do you, how do you feel about sales? I mean, if you don't like selling, then there are certain brands I'm not going to introduce you to because they want the owner to be the face of the company. And most of them do anyway, out and about. And you need to be proud of what you have. If you don't want to, if you do, if driving a logo car really bothers you, I heard on Clubhouse this morning, um, Cameron, who was one of the founders of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, he said what they would do is they'd buy an old car that was in pretty good condition. And if the person didn't want to drive a logoed car, they'd, they'd logo it up and, and they'd just go stick it in parking lots to be uh, good at free advertising for them. Yeah, we, thought, did that. that's, we did that's that. That's so smart. At the GNC, mm-hmm. we actually bought it like one of those 20-foot box trucks and, and, and logoed it and yep. drive it to work every day. Yeah. And because you figure, you know, how many eyes would see that going down a highway? Oh, I've got a great story for you. So um, there was a lady one time. So the Dwyer group at one time went through a whole rebrand. And when they did, they painted the Mr. Electric truck bright yellow. I think it still might be with a, a big light bulb on the side of it. And so the lady calls up one day and she really she said, oh, I really need an electrician. And this was a brand pretty brand new uh, Mr. Electric. They had one van. And uh, she said, oh, I really need an electrician and I hope you'll be able to help me. Um, She said, because I see your car, I see your employees everywhere. They had one van and she saw them everywhere. But that's just the perception. And that's why you should, you know, if you're in business, man, be loud and proud and let everybody, you know, you don't want to keep your business a big secret. You want everybody to know who you are and what you're doing. Yep. And, you know, and I think, like you said, you know, the military, because, you know, we're taught how to follow standard operation procedures. Mm -hmm. But now also on the flip side, you know, and I'm sure you've talked to people where you're like, there is no way that they will do good as a franchise because they're, you know, they they want they have their own ideas that they want to put out there. Oh, yeah. Not going to follow the SOPs. So what is that conversation like? That conversation is, you know what, George, I think you're a great guy and you've got some great ideas, but you would waste your money buying a franchise because you would drive everybody crazy and you wouldn't be successful because you'd be constantly retweaking the business. So you need to go, you know, find, go do your own thing. I really say that because I don't want to waste his time and I don't want to waste his money because he's not going to be a good franchisor and my uh, a franchisee and my job quite honestly. And the reason they pay me what they do is my job is to get rid is not get rid of, sorry, didn't mean that, um, is to identify those people and, you know, let them know they need to go do, you know, go do their own genius attacks and, and they'll be very successful. I'm sure go get a business coach. And, you know, like one thing I, I love that, you know, one of the things you say is, you know, love your job, but would you like to create more wealth with a semi absentee business? Mm-hmm. because a lot of times, like my friend found out, you know, his name is Kumar. He's my best mm-hmm. friend. And, uh, nice. But Hi, Kumar. everybody knows Kumar. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, like you said, you become the face of your franchise. That's right. And a lot mm-hmm. of people knew his car. So if his car wasn't there, they would just pass on by. So sometimes I think, you know, being the face of your franchise, if you want to have more than one, one location, Mm-hmm. something that you might not want to do is become the face of the franchise. Well, okay. So think of it a different way. And that is that I think one of the things that people struggle with is hiring the right people. 
And I think a lot of that has to do with culture. And I think, so when I had my Sir Speedy in downtown San Francisco, I mean, we had a great team and they were family to us. I mean, they would work. I mean, God, Nadia, she'd work until 10, 11 o'clock at night. We'd drive by going home from dinner or something and she'd still be in there. Now, I'm old. Those were in the days when Xerox first came out and the company next door needed all these copies and they had black speckles all over them. It didn't matter. It was a Xerox copy, but um, it's about who you hire. So we were really good at hiring people and giving them autonomy and, you know, paying them well, but appreciating them. You know, you'd be surprised what appreciation, appreciation and saying nice things and, and really being grateful for the people that you, that work with you will go. I mean, we could go away. We'd go down to Southern California for a week and see family and we'd come back and they kind of look at us like, what are you here for? You know, we got this. Don't worry. Yeah. So and I, think, I think a lot of it has to do with it, your style. And like you said, you know, it's hiring people that you trust. Yep. You know, like for me, when Kumar would go away, I'm, I, I'd be telling him, listen, go on vacation. I got this. Just mm-hmm. go. Just mm-hmm. go. Because I'm going to run it, especially because I know the backside. Yes. You know, I can, you know, pay the bills. I can do the ordering. You know, because I, I know both sides of the, you know, both sides of the um, the spectrum. Yes. But I was I guess I was a different kind of case. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll get a, employees, you know, you're paying them 10, 12 bucks an hour, whatever. They're mm-hmm. all seeing the front side. You know, they're only seeing, wow, you know, like like when I started, because I believe in old school marketing. I'm still that old school guy mm-hmm. shaking hands, kissing babies. That's still me. Um we took our company from 500,000 to 1.4 million in three years. Good for you. See, by doing that old school building yep. relationships. So can you talk to us about building relationships in business? Cause I think that's the most important thing. I think, I think that is so key. I mean, if you're in business today and you're not part of the local chamber and part of a leads group and all those things, you're really missing out because those people become your lead. They become one of your resources And so it is important to, you know, and good customer service, good grief. How many businesses do you go to where the customer service is so terrible and you wonder how do they possibly stay in business? Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, you know, you know, know, we live in the the world of um, social media, you know, I'm, you know, Gary V. I love Gary. I just love him. Friend of mine, you know, somebody that I appreciate and his book, the thank you economy was so great in talking about how, you know, if the best uh, marketing strategy is to care. Yes. And, absolutely. You know, and, you know, because if I tell, if I do something nice for somebody, they might tell five people, 10 people, mm-hmm. but if I treat somebody wrong, they're going to put it out on social and you it got might it. be up to a hundred thousand people, you mm-hmm. know, so you really have to care about, your customers and, you know, and go for that. Um, I always thought I'm looking at, I want generational customers. Yes. I want to build them relationship, you know, that friendship, you know, like me now, now that me and you've talked on here, um, I consider you a friend and the relationship is just starting today. Yes, I would agree. Thank you. So talk to us about your book and the name of it, where they can find it. And, you know, I wrote my book. It came out a couple of years ago. It was very cathartic, but, you know, a lot of people think, okay, you write a book, you put it on Amazon, boom, I'm rich and I'm an Amazon bestseller. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't work like that. So could you please talk to us about your experience? Sure. So actually, this is a fun story. Me and my stories. Um, so I'm a Forbes Riley student and I took her mastermind class. And while, and I've always thought about writing a book. So <clears throat> while taking that class, my accountability partner happened to be a publisher. And she calls me up after our first, you know, class. And she says, hey, Phyllis, we're writing this compilation book. And I was wondering, we've got three spots open. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. Now, most people, when they do something like this, they have like three months to write the chapter. I had one week. So what was fun about it was the name of the book is The Gift of the Universe Through Women That Lead. 
and I'm in chapter 12, and my chapter is from lemonade stand to uh, franchise expert. So it was really fun. It was, I had to really go back into who I am and what are my qualities. And, and I want to tell you quickly about the uh, chapter because what I realized is when I was a little kid, my grandparents lived in San Francisco and we used to drive up there. They had a beautiful condo um, overlooking the uh, Alcatraz. And we used to go by the Grace Cathedral all the time. Well, I was raised Episcopalian and the Grace Cathedral is Episcopal and they had these beautiful big stained glass windows. So I said to my mom one day, I said, mom, our church does not have a stained glass window. And I think they should. So I'm gonna have a lemonade stand. She kind of looked at me like I was nuts, but whatever. So uh, I did, I got my friends together and we had this big lemonade stand on the golf course. And I raised, I think in those days, it was like $285 and they have a little stained glass window in their church. But you know, who did I, how did I know that I was gonna be a franchise person way back when I was like, you know, eight, 10 years old. So that was very fun. And um, so the book is all about my journey as a woman in business. And my keys are really courage, willingness, the willingness to do things. The other thing is um, taking a chance, you know, go for it, take a jump. I mean, I was always willing, you know, they bring us, God brings us lots of opportunities but so many people don't do them. They don't have the courage, but you know what? If they would just try, you'd be surprised where your life will go if you have the willingness to try and listen to your gut. Cause you know what? Your gut, that's God speaking saying, come on, just do this. So I said, okay. I mean, writing is not my favorite thing to do. And now I'm writing a, a second book and that's going to be really fun. Cause it's with the itty bitty publishing company and it's only going to be 15 chapters and it's only bullet points and and paragraphs. So no, and you fluff. Know why. no fluff. No fluff. And you know why? Because her philosophy, Susie Pruden's philosophy is that most adults don't like reading anyway. So if you make a book with bullet points and chapter, I mean, bullet points and paragraphs, they're going to get the main points and that's all they want anyway. So it's going to be fun. Okay. So now I got just two, three final questions. Then you're going to be on the rest of your day. And I get to hang out with my nine-year-old for the next three days. Oh, good for you, daddy. Uh, yep. So it's going to be staying in PJs and eating every, all the junk that we want. <laughs> Disneyland uh, daddy. Yeah. Uh, so now what is, cause there's a lot of, you know, I think social media now has leveled the playing field for men uh -huh. and women in business. Uh -huh. So for all the women out there that might be thinking, should I start a business? Should I not, not start a business? What is some of your advice to the ladies out there? Well, first of all, my advice is if you, if you have a feeling you really want to do it, I think you ought to go for it. You want to get resources for it, get a, get a business coach. I, I promise you a business coach will make all the difference in the world or come visit me and let's see if I can find a franchise that would be a great fit for you. You know, people don't realize that franchising can be very affordable. There's lots of options for financing these days between SBA, using a 401k, using an IRA, equity in your home. I mean, real estate prices have gone through the roof. So there's opportunities out there. And, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more women in franchising. And we have a lot of female CEOs, franchise CEOs. Yep. So last two questions. How do we find you? How can we get in touch with you? Where can we find your books and everything? So the book is on Amazon. And if you just go to my website, just type in the franchise lady and I'll pop up. So I rebranded myself the franchise lady a couple of years ago because of the chamber down here. And it's just resonated and it's easy and it's easy to find me. I'm on Clubhouse, franchise lady. Um, come follow me on Clubhouse. I'm going to be doing a room, a weekly room with a, a friend and uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to be talking about business and franchising and, you know, looking for either the retired uh, military. If you're out there and you're thinking, what am I going to do next? Come see me. I mean, franchising is a wonderful opportunity to go into business with a proven system, everything you need to get started, but you also has a built-in community. So you're going to start out the gate with people 
that are just like you that care and you know they've made some mistakes and they can shorten the time for you so phyllis find me on clubhouse i'm you know richard kaufman or comeback coach and maybe we'll host a room together oh that would be super fun i would love that this way we can get both the veterans and the civilian community in there talking about franchising perfect so last question i have i ask everybody because and i get a hundred different answers i ask a hundred different people you know we live (laughs) in a very crazy world right now we're in covid Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have grandparents, homeschooling kids. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're probably not going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to. So if somebody's sitting on the fence, do I want to go in business? Do I want to start my own franchise? What can they do in the next 24 hours to kind of get into the right mindset? I would tell them to come to my website and take the assessment. Go to the franchiselady.com, take the assessment. It will identify whether or not you're an entrepreneur or whether you would be better with a location, multiple locations, you know, being it maybe you're an empire builder, who knows. And take the had, assessment. You had how many locations at one time? Pardon me? You were a franchisee too? Yes, I was. So I owned a Sir Speedy in downtown San Francisco. And then uh, we owned nine automotive tune-up centers at one time in Orange County. So, you know, you know, from firsthand experience from pocket, you, so you know exactly what yeah. people are going through. So you have, yeah, that, absolutely. you have that empathy and it's not just, well, stuff. You, yeah. And you know, I think one of the things that happens, Richard, is that people think that, oh, going into a franchise is going to be so expensive. Well, if they talk to some of their friends that have built a company, if they find out how long it took them to figure out who the customers were going to be, what marketing was going to work, you know, where's the location going to be? What am I going to sell? How am I going to, I mean, you look at all those things they have to figure out. It takes a long time to figure that stuff out. I'm going to bring you a business in a box. And if we're older, hey, we don't want to spend, waste all that time. Let's just find something you're really going to just, love and be be proud of and have fun with heaven forbid you have fun yeah well thank you so <laughs> much. guys i, I want to say thank you to our sponsors and phyllis definitely check out the, our, this, my friend's podcast it's called i will double b creates and i'm going to ask them to have you come on their show talk about the franchising and phyllis i just want to say thank you um guys if you're out there check out franchise the franchise lady Make sure you check her out, fill out the assessment. And if you know somebody that's looking to get into business or wants to own a franchise, definitely check her out. She knows her stuff. Phyllis, have an amazing weekend. And I'm so thank you, Richard. Are you going to get to hang out with the grandkids weekend? I do. And I have a little boy coming. He's going to be here in about three weeks. Oh, I can't wait to see. So I'm going to have a girl and a boy. Can't wait to see pictures. Yep, you will. Well, Phyllis, have an amazing weekend, and thank you for thank you for your friendship. Thank you so much, and God bless all of you, and stay safe out there. You too. God bless. All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.